0: It is an absolute pleasure to be with a seven-time Grand Slam champion in men's singles, the great Matt VLander, working here uh, for Eurosport three times Australian Open, three times French, uh, 1988 uh, the US Open champion. And first of all, Matt, thank you so very much for the time. As a commentator, uh, compare the feeling that you get coming to a Grand Slam uh, to when you were a competitor.
1: Well, I mean, I think I look forward to the most is commentating matches because they're live and um, it's where you put yourself in the in both players' shoes and you try to figure out a way to to solve problems and try to figure out figure out a way uh, why a player is missing certain shots and why he would do certain things. And obviously, you can't change anything when you're commentating. But um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's about analyzing both players' games and uh, and then go out on the limb and trying to, try to hope that one player does a certain thing and hope that you're right, often you're wrong.
0: Yes, uh, of course one of the big stories coming into this US Open uh, are the players who are not here and the number of Grand Slams combined that they have, including here uh, at the US Open. But. Uh, on the other side of the coin is opportunity, especially in the bottom half of the draw where uh, John Isner right now is the top ranked player on the bottom half of the draw, followed by I think Carino Busta and Sam Query. Um, How do you assess and evaluate uh, that dichotomy of the top players not being here but the bottom half of the draw being wide open, is it a positive? Is it not as much of a positive? No, it's completely,
1: it's only positive, I think. Okay. I think that uh, it just goes to show that the top players in the game, you know, they refuse to lose in general. Uh, and, uh, and once you know, once five of the ten are not here, and suddenly it opens it up, not for the players that are between between 11 and 20, but be, literally between 11 and 100. Yes. Because uh, I think the big step is, is uh, top ten, that's a big step but then to sort of top three top four guys that win grand slams sort of every other year or every year that's there's a difference between those guys as well uh, and then comes the rest and uh, and i think the rest as you see that somebody like john Isner, you know he's been within top ten and then they slide down to thirty in the world and they move back up to fifteen in the world and same career the same thing so you know that um you know, those players, they can have great tournaments, they can beat the best players in the world, and they just don't do it on a consistent, on a consistent basis, which most of the guys in the top 10 do year in and year out, and, and the top three or four year in and year out win Grand Slams. So there's those three separations
0: in the rankings. Uh, do you see the Murrays and the Djokovic's and the Vavrenkas coming back the way that Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal did after their... Absences uh, coming back winning majors up. What do you see from those players? Is it just the same thing that Roger and Rafa had gone through or could it be something that might be a little bit different?
1: Well, I think that uh, we have to realize that how they came back is we, we Because they've won Grand Slams we tend to concentrate on the fact that Roger won two and Rafa won one me, as a player and analyst, I am concentrating on what they have improved. Okay. So there's no way you can, you can expect Andy Murray and Stan Wawrinka to come back and suddenly win Grand Slams again. Just But, but there's uh, Novak Djokovic, of course, you can you come back and win Grand Slams. I, I'm sure Murray and Wawrinka can win more Grand Slams, but that's not really what we're looking for. We're looking for them to take some time away from the game and trying to figure out some, some things that needs to be improved in their game. Uh, and once they improve that part, whatever it is in their game then then we'll have a different looking player just like we have a different looking Roger Federer today than a few years back and we have a different looking Rafael Nadal most of the time maybe not in this tournament specifically but in most of the time we have a different looking Nadal because he plays more aggressively it takes ball earlier on the backhand side love to see Mari and these guys come back and uh, and have changed their game uh, along with the development of their
0: personal life yes absolutely once again Matt's Bielander joining us and Serena Williams Uh, her prolonged absence uh, due to her pregnancy and I believe she just gave birth uh, to a baby girl uh, in the women's draw, Uh, do you see a specific player? Uh, emerging and becoming somewhat of a dominant player or is it going to be the way it is now where between 1 and maybe 20 there's not much separation or maybe between 1 and 10 that there's not that much separation and it'll continue to be that way before Serena Williams comes back and we'll see what Serena does
1: well I don't think we're ever gonna have a separation like Serena Williams has separated herself I don't know if we will have that again uh, because she has so many, um, obviously so many weapons and she's got that, she's got obviously the best serve in, in the history of women's game. But she also has a mind and the heart that's most probably up there with the best in the women's game of all time. Um, so I don't know if we're going to have that complete of a player again, but I would say that Garbine Muguruza is most probably the one that is naturally the one to, to kind of not take over Serena's role, but take over... Uh, I suppose before the tournaments at least Serena's role which is if you're going to look at favorites I think we're going to start looking at Muguruza as one of two or three favorites to win any slam and I believe that will continue for, for four, five, six, seven years um, but then you have other players in there like Sloane Stevens, Madison Keyes uh, of course Petra Kritova has won a couple of majors but, but, th- but those players are so unpredictable and there's a lot of Coco Vandeweghe is another one. They're unpredictable. They can play as well as anyone at, on any given day. Are they ready to win another to win a Slam? I'm not sure, but uh, we have to win your first one at some point. Obviously, Kvitova has won a couple, so she's always ready. Um, yeah, you see a little bit of a change in the women's game. I think it's uh, obviously power is the main um, is the main force still, but you do have a lot of uh, young players that are not. They're strong, but they're not Serena's and Venus' height, and they don't—they don't hit a flat ball anymore. They hit with a lot more topspin and a, and a lot more variation, uh, and, um, and I think that's the way the women's game is starting to head a little bit. Uh, there must probably be better, better athletes every year. Um, and they can cover the court better just like the men do. And once they can cover the court better, sheer power is not going to do it. So you're going to have to have some finesse and some slices on the topspin, and I believe the women's game is heading in that direction.
0: In 1988, of all the players that a lot of casual fans remember of having great specific seasons uh, with Rod Laver, 62, Rod Laver, 69 and McEnroe, 84 and Federer, Nadal and Djokovic and their multiple Grand Slam years. I think yours gets uh, understated in 1988 when you won three of the four men's singles uh, majors Australian, French and the US Open Uh, what do you most remember from that special year in 1988 maybe outside of Miroslav Machir uh, at Wimbledon uh, in the quarterfinals. What do you remember the most about 1988? That year, where you won three majors, and was there ever a thought after the French Open that, no, oh, there's this thing that is halfway that I halfway completed that uh, I can no. match my life?
1: No, that thing has never occurred. <coughs> that thing most probably doesn't enter most players' minds. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you're just looking at trying to win slams, and. Um, I had a you know a couple of dry years in 86 and eighty seven although I played well in '87 and suddenly everything comes together in 1988 and then that turns out to be the last major I won here in '88 but uh you know, no. What I remember is just that uh, you go into matches on every different surface against any opponent, and you feel that I've, I've, got, I've got answers. You know, I, I, there's a problem out here somewhere. I know there's going to be a problem. It could be with me. It could be with my opponent. It could be with the surface. It could be whatever. But I have a lot of solutions in my in my luggage, in my toolbox, so to speak. And uh, so it's more the feeling of going into matches and and going through matches where you feel. Um, excited more than more than sure that you're going to win you feel excited about um feel excited about oh, ha, being able to use a lot of different weapons and tools to be able to get out of and you know you have them and that feeling is a very uh, calming feeling very calming and exciting exciting feeling when you go on court and you start playing um and then of course some matches it didn't work out in 88 but um, when you feel like you have weapons to solve most problems that's really what you're looking for. You're looking to become a complete player. And uh, I think all those years, Mackinac 84, me 88, I think that's what we felt, is that I'm pretty, pretty close to being as complete a player as I can ever be. I'm pretty close to reach my full potential as a, as a, as a player and as a, somebody who can win matches. And Yeah, we're lucky to have experienced any part of that feeling. Yes.
0: Matt, I know you're pressed for time. Thank you so very much for the time. Really appreciate this uh, conversation. No problem.